Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Full work limited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. What we need is more common sense. More common sense. You've got to use plain old common sense. Breaking down the world's nonsense. About how American common sense will see us through. With the common sense of Houston. I'm just pro-common sense. For Houston, from Houston. Where is talking about common sense? This is the Jimmy Barrett Show. Brought to you by ViewIn.com. Now, here's Jimmy Barrett. All right. Welcome to our Friday show. Good to have you out there. Um, we're going to have a lot of things to talk about on today's show, including this little topic here. This is one. This doesn't surprise me, by the way. This doesn't surprise me. Um, the reason why this doesn't surprise me is because I really don't think a lot of people value things that are free. And I think that's kind of universal. I don't think that's just an American thing. I think that's kind of a worldwide thing. I think that you give people things for free, not that they don't like getting free stuff. People obviously do like getting free stuff, but I don't think they respect free stuff. You know, at the risk of you know going back to my own childhood here, my I remember that the one of the one of the um, long-lasting lessons I learned from my father that I tried to carry into my own parenting was the idea that if you give a kid something, chances are pretty good he won't take very good care of it or necessarily value it nearly as much as something that he went out and earned himself. And I remember as a kid, one of the things, and no no kids really had it. It was just, it was just unheard of when I was a kid, in most cases, for a kid to have a television set in his bedroom. That was just... It, 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 that just wasn't normal. I think in our entire household, we had, when I was a little kid, we had one television in the family room, and that was it. And then maybe as a teen, we might have had two TVs, but, th- but that was it. And by the way, one of those two TVs was the one in my room. My parents never had one in their room. My sisters never had one in their room. Just me. And the one downstairs. And that was it. That was it. Um, maybe we weren't quite as television dependent back then as, as as a society as we seem to be now. Anyway, I wanted a TV for my room. And I, I told my dad, I, I really want a TV for my room. He said, great. There's the lawnmower. Here's a gallon of gas. Go out there and find some lawns to cut. Make some money and buy that TV. Dad! No, seriously. I'm going to let you use our lawnmower, and I'm going to give you your first gallon of gas. Go out there and make some money. All right. So that's what I did. And sure enough, it took me a while, but I saved up I saved up the money I needed to buy the TV. And then I bought that TV, and I cherished that television set. Because and it, was, you know, it wasn't a great TV set. But it, it was a TV set that I bought with my own money, and I worked hard, and I earned it. 
And I took great care of that TV set. And I took great care of the things that I bought myself. The other things, not quite as much. I think the same principle is at work here. We have a lot of illegal immigrants that we're helping in this country. We're giving them all kinds of free stuff. We're giving them free food. We're giving them free lodging. We're giving them just about anything they need for their daily needs. And we're not asking for anything in return. We let them come across the border and we're giving them all this stuff. So you would think, right, that they would appreciate it. Not that not that some of them don't, but there's a lot of them that, that, that really don't. They don't. It was given to them for free. They didn't earn it. They don't really care that much about it. And I think a prime example of that is what is going on right now in New York City. There is a hotel called the Row Hotel where they uh, fill the hotel up with illegal immigrants and they're providing them with free food and Lord knows what else. And they have literally taken over the hotel. Here is an employee of the hotel who finally decided he needed to blow needed to blow the whistle on this thing. Here he is describing what's going on at this hotel in New York City. The chaos uh, that we see at the row today uh, is compiled by migrants being drunk, uh, drinking all day, smoking marijuana, uh, consuming drugs, and domestic violence. Uh, people having sex in the stairs, young people, teenagers, uh, they use the stair, the uh, fire exit stairs to, to go in there and, and do what teenagers do. Uh, uh, we have people, you know, uh, actually uh, trying to act like the hotel is theirs and we have no rights. Uh, the the form in which they keep their rooms is horrendous. They they don't they don't clean it. They don't fold their clothes. They don't. I mean, it's in piles and piles. Uh, they're hoarding clothes. They're hoarding whatever they can hoard, and there's no accountability. And when you go into a rooms and you say something, you know, um, the the hotel uh, management. Uh, especially uh, the GM has directed us that we're not allowed to, to tell them nothing. And, and practically they have carte blanche. Okay. So hang on. The general manager of the hotel is telling his staff, you can't tell them anything. And therefore there is no accountability and therefore they're tearing up the hotel. <laughs> now I don't know anything about the row hotel in New York city. I'm guessing that Probably the federal government or the state of New York or the city of New York, whoever it is that's spending money on these rooms, is probably overpaying for these rooms. And therefore, the general manager really doesn't care. He just wants the income to keep coming in. Even though by the time these these people leave, he might not have much of a hotel left. Because it sounds like they're tearing the place up. Tearing it up. Yep. Given to them for free, and I guess they don't care that much about it. All right, back with more in a moment. Jimmy Barrett Show here on AM 950 KPRC. I'm not sure if they're proposing this because they know we have a budget surplus. Maybe that's got something to do with this. But here's something I do know, and that is that we have states 
colleges and universities, in fact, our six largest uh, public universities, asking for $1 billion for higher education. $1 billion with a B. In exchange, they are promising to freeze tuition for all students for the next two academic years. Is that a good trade? $1 billion in additional state aid in return for two years of frozen tuition? Andrew Gillen joins us, senior analyst at the Texas Public Policy Foundation's Next Generation Texas Initiative. Does this strike you as a good deal or a bad deal, Andrew? Uh, this strikes me as a bad deal for for Texas Texas taxpayers. the The amount that we spend per year on on uh, kind of subsidizing Texas public institutions is about four point eight billion. Um, so this would be a massive, massive increase, and about 1.3 of that billion goes towards health-related institutions. Um, so, the, and this this wouldn't really affect those. This this extra one billion. So this this would just be a massive, massive amount of money um, for a a just a freeze intuition. Uh, I, I'd be much more curious to offer how much to to be. To find out how much they would lower tuition in return for for an extra one. Okay, so they haven't they haven't even ventured to guess is how much they would, you know, what they would just freeze it where it is right now, right? They're not offering to lower exactly, it exactly. And yeah. and and my point is that this is such a massive increase, uh, you know, over a twenty percent increase of all higher ed funding, and this would be uh, funding concentrated at a few institutions. That that this should, if you're going to do this, you don't freeze tuition, you lower it dramatically. So. Do we have any idea, just out of morbid curiosity, do we have any idea what it is they want the money for? What do they want to spend the money on? Well, and here's here's where I have a lot of sympathy for the for the colleges. Um, I mean, these these are public institutions, and then there's there's also a lot of private institutions uh, in the state. So it's not like they're they're wanting this money just to distribute to to shareholders or go to you know extra luxurious vacations to Cabo or something like that. Um, they they've got a list of worthwhile educational programs and investments that they that they want to do. They want to upgrade the chemistry lab. They want to hire more faculty. They want to you know, give students higher scholarships. I, I do have a lot of sympathy with them because the way the way public and private nonprofit higher education is structured is that there's there's always going to be a need for more money. You can always find a way to to, to spend that money, and so it's really on the Texas legislature to to figure out okay, what's an appropriate amount to to provide for them? What, how much do they need to be able to provide the education that we want our students to have? Are they asking now because of this big state budget surplus? They think that maybe the time oh, is perfect. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> I mean, you saw this in California, right? Like last year, they so. had a huge, huge budget surplus. Everybody came out with their hand open. Uh, California, of course, obliged, <laughs> um, and and now California's got a deficit. And so, so if 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 uh, if Texas does the same thing, uh, we're we're going to find ourselves in the same boat. You know, what's kind of interesting about what you were talking about, what they want the money for, I, I could see where you could want to invest it into things like upgrading chemistry labs and, and those types of things, uh, building projects that have a long-term uh, payout or benefit. But when you're using it to hire additional faculty or additional staff, you're not just adding a salary. You're adding a salary every year for the next 20 or 30 years and benefits and everything that goes along with it. So that that's that's something that uh, you know it, it, that takes more than just one gift of money in order to be able to afford over the long term. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And and higher education is such a strange 
uh, approach to this because every other industry, labor is a variable cost, meaning that you scale up and down uh, the the level of your staffing uh, in, in response to changes in demand. Well, because of tenure, uh, higher education can't do that very easily. And and so they basically converted what should be a variable cost into a fixed cost. And fixed costs are very, very dangerous for any institution because for exactly the reason you just mentioned, now you've committed to, to paying this for the next, you know, 30, 40 years. Andrew, um, I want to ask you too, because to me, this is kind of a related topic here. Um, there's a lot of talk at the state legislature about um, secondary education and, and doing some things for property tax relief because that's where the, the bulk of the money comes from for secondary education, public school education uh, here in Texas. Um, I, I guess the question would be, um, which is a more worthwhile endeavor? You know, propping, you know, giving additional money to universities, not that you, know, you have to pick one or the other necessarily, I guess, but I, I think relief for taxpayers and more school choice is something that probably most Texans would prefer to see, don't you? Yeah, I, th- I think that's absolutely right. Because uh, the other thing we need to keep in mind is even even if we, even, not everybody goes to college, right? Uh, and so if you give this $1 billion to the colleges, you're going to benefit some fraction of Texas uh, taxpayers. Uh, but if you give this in terms of a rebate, okay, the, the students who do go to college, all of a sudden they can now afford to pay more. Uh, to, to go to college, but then all the all the people who don't go to college, they also get uh, a, a little bit of this this, this benefit. Um, so I, I think that's absolutely right. I would I would definitely prioritize um, uh, kind of tax relief uh, and and school choice at the K through 12 level uh, above this this uh, extra funding for for higher education. You know, I was been thinking too. There, you put a freeze on tuition, college tuition at these universities for two years. Um, it, unless you specifically mandate to them how much of an increase they can propose in any or, or come up with in any given year, uh, if you if you don't limit that, you just you you they buy themselves two years, and then at the end of two years they can raise the tuition any amount they want, can't they? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And it's always this delicate dance between uh, the, the the institutions trying to raise tuition and the legislature trying to trying to uh, sort of sort of cap it. Um, but that's absolutely right. So you you give this you give this one billion to them in two years, they're going to come back and say, okay, well, give us another billion, uh, or we'll raise tuition as much as we would have before, plus whatever we now want to raise it for the for the next two years. Uh, so you then have potentially four years of of kind of tuition increases uh, coming down the pike um and and so so to me to me uh this this is the wrong approach college and uh, has gotten so expensive not just here in texas but everywhere around the country are we starting to see this in enrollment numbers what do what do enrollment numbers look like here in texas uh so enrollment uh is, is a very mixed bag uh so so nationwide and i think texas follows this for the most part uh we've seen a slight dip in enrollment uh, but it's not that every institution is is seeing the exact same uh, dip. So so if you if you take sort of your top tier institutions, so your, your you know your Texas A and M, your UT Austin, uh, they they are enrolling as many people as they ever have and 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 want to, right? Uh, so so they aren't seeing the enrollment dip. But where you are seeing the enrollment dip is mostly concentrated in the community college sector, uh, and and interestingly enough, it tends to be the more uh, sort of hands on vocational. 
traditional uh, uh, fields that, that really took a hit during COVID. And if they're recovering, they're recovering very, very slowly. Um, the one exception to this is actually a, a school that has a very, very interesting model that we like a lot, which is the Texas Technical State College. Um, and, and the way that they're funded is they don't get paid by, by the, the state of Texas until their students graduate and earn more uh, than the minimum wage. Um, and so this is a this is a, this kind of does a great job of aligning the incentives of of the school and the uh, uh, and the and the state. Uh, and as a result, what we've seen of that is, is that Texas Technical State College is very very uh, active in growing programs that have very high labor demand uh, in their in that particular area. Uh, and so so they're very responsive to to the labor market. And as a result, their their enrollments are actually up. That being the case, should we be concentrating as a state, should we be concentrating our our, uh, state health on these vocational schools, on community colleges, on these these other places that kids are going? If if Texas A&M and UT Austin have all the students they can use and can charge almost whatever they want for tuition, it seems to me that they don't really need the help, do they? Yeah, I, th- I think there's a lot of truth to that. There's there's a, a dirty little secret in, in higher education that the the institutions at the top tier are actually showered with the most um, kind of taxpayer money, uh, which is the opposite of of how we sort of frame higher education, right? Like like we we frame higher education and and, and the state's involvement with it as kind of promoting equality of opportunity, making sure everybody has has equal access. Uh, but then when we look uh, actually, what happens? We see that the the the, the lower income students are are not as represented at the at the top tier institutions. At the same time, the per student funding uh, at those top tier institutions is much much higher than it is at, at, at kind of the particularly the community colleges, but even the the, the lesser name uh, four year schools. Interesting. Okay, Andrew Gillen, good to talk to you. Happy New Year! Thanks for coming on the show, and I'm sure we'll talk again. Sounds great. Thanks for having me. You bet. Andrew Gellin, Senior Analyst for the Texas Public Policy Foundation's Next Generation Texas Initiative. Back with more in a moment. Hey, would you have a problem? Would you have a problem? I'm going to get to this a little later this hour. Would you have a problem with a neighbor sacrificing a goat in his backyard? Would that would that be a problem? Back with more in a moment. Jimmy Barrett here on AM 950 KPRC. segment today this is this is uh this is an interesting conversation i think it's gonna be an interesting conversation to have in our final segment here today on a friday and that is um slaughtering an animal i know that sounds kind of gross i don't i don't mean to gross you out and by animal i'm talking a goat or sheep most likely um not a dog not a cat I assume they made the stipulation. Have you ever heard of a little town? Well, actually, it's not that little. It's it's right outside the Detroit city limits in Michigan. It's called Hamtramck. Hamtramck. It's interesting. Hamtramck has changed a lot. When I was when I was a, a kid in Michigan, Hamtramck was where you would go on Fat Tuesday to get something called punchkis. Punchkis are these big, heavy, delicious jelly donuts. And they make them for for Lent. 
where you know it, it's one of the, it's a Polish tradition. They they you know, they empty basically you're emptying out the lard and everything else that you are, are not allowed to have during Lent, and you're you're making these big honking jelly donuts out of them. And they used to have a lot of Polish bakeries. I don't know if they still do, but they used to have a lot of Polish bakeries in Hamtramck. But over the course of time, Hamtramck, like much of the surrounding area of Detroit, has really changed. It is has it has a huge Muslim population now. Uh, Hamtramck and Dearborn and East Dearborn, all around Detroit, have these huge enclaves of of Muslims who are living there, who came from the Middle East. In fact, it's the largest Arab population outside of the Middle East. So you, you it, it's kind of surreal sometimes. You drive there, and and we go back to see my wife's family every now and again, and uh, they live in Dearborn, and you'll be driving down Michigan Avenue in Dearborn. And there'll be a slew of businesses where the signs are in Arabic. No, seriously, in Arabic. And then you'll see a mosque, and you'll kind of forget, you'll kind of forget where you are for a moment. Now, I guess, and this doesn't surprise me. You know, Muslim people love their traditions, and just like Jewish people love the traditions, Christians do too. But the Muslim traditions strike me as being a little older. You know, most most religions have sort of evolved over the course of time. I don't know that, at least for some Muslims, the, the Muslim religion doesn't seem like it's evolved that much. It, it It's practiced pretty much the same way it was a thousand years ago. And some of the traditions from a thousand years ago still exist. Now, I think just about every, certainly in the Jewish tradition, and certainly in the pagan tradition, uh, animal sacrifices were something that were made on high holidays. You know, sacrificing an animal to the gods. Kind of, um, I don't know what the practical application of it is. But in, in some Muslim sects, they still do this. They still do this. So they, they, they've got this little town, as I mentioned, Hamtramck. The city council of Hamtramck is all Muslim now. And they voted 3-2 to two in favor of allowing animal sacrifices on, on certain holidays and under certain rules and stipulations. You know where if you you you, you, out the, you got a sheep out in the backyard, you slit his throat, and you make your sacrifice. I don't know how the neighbors are going to feel about that. I mean, how, how would because I, I don't know what kind of a noise an, a sheep makes when you slit his throat, but I have a feeling it probably isn't very pleasant. So, so are we ready to do this to allow animal sacrifices? This this feels like we're going backwards. At any rate, um, Jesse Waters on his show had a member of PETA on, and well, you know where PETA's going to stand on this issue, right? So I think he's I think he's playing more devil's advocate with this PETA person than he is in endorsing animal sacrifice. But here's their conversation. It's 2023, people. I think we'd all rather leave the animal slaughtering to trained professionals. But that's no longer the case in Hamtramck, Michigan, where an all-Muslim city council just voted to let residents conduct animal sacrifices in their homes and in their backyards, anywhere really, as long as they tell the town first. Hamtramck's a Muslim-majority city, and one of their big religious traditions is to slaughter goats, sheep, and cows on high holidays. But a lot of people aren't really into this. These backyard slaughter situations. Backyard slaughter situations. How dare you besmirch their religious... Tradition. This, th- these are high holidays that they conduct these things. Anyone slaughtering in a backyard is very likely to be violating all kinds of cruelty and health codes. But 
of course, at PETA, we don't believe in harming animals for any reason. And we encourage anyone who's bothered by this to take a look at what goes on in any slaughterhouse. But, but Ashley, they're, they're, they're going to get slaughtered anyway. Well, at the slaughterhouse, they're just cutting out the middlemen and celebrating their high holidays. Look, only only if people are buying them. And in this case, we're saying that we have to think about the fact that children are often exposed to these religious rituals. These animals throats are slashed and their heads are manually torn from their bodies. That is a sacrifice to the gods. I actually don't know exactly the, the specific significance of the slaughtering itself, but it, it holds deep religious value to the Muslim community. And if they want to slit a goat's throat on a high holiday, why would PETA be against that? Well, you know what? Actually, that's a misconception because so many Muslims don't take part in this and are very opposed to it. I actually spoke oh. to a Muslim friend of mine today who said his family never participated in this. So this is a smaller sect of the Muslim community that still participates in well, this? Well, I mean, I know that there are many Muslims who choose not to because they think it's cruel and unnecessary. Okay. But if she just said, that's the thing about PETA. You know, they uh, they don't always make sense with their arguments. Um, you're trying. She's trying to make an argument about slitting the throat of an animal as to whether or not this is cruel and unusual or 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 animal abuse or what have you I I, I, I I don't want to get graphic and I'm not going to but if you've ever been not that many of us have been but if you've ever been to a slaughterhouse you know that there are far worse things that can happen to an animal versus having their throat slit it is a relatively painless procedure generally speaking. Now, personally, as much as they abhor slaughterhouses, if I were PETA, and I certainly am not, but if I were PETA, I would invite people to, I would do tours of an operating slaughterhouse. I think if you want to convert people to being vegetarians, if you go and you watch that thing, you watch that procedure going on, you might, uh, yeah, you might say, okay, bring on the veggies. I'm going to fruits and veggies. I don't know the right answer to this one, but it, you know, having people slaughtering animals in their backyard, even if it's a relatively small amount of people, doesn't strike me as a great thing for modern civilization. All right, have yourself a great weekend. I'll see you Monday morning, right and early at 5 a.m. on News Radio 740 KTRH. We are back here at 4 on AM 950 KPRC. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.